Hey everybody, happy new year and welcome back to the Taking Care of Business podcast. We are gonna start the new year and the new decade off with a, a, a big one here. We're talking to John Van Huysen from Ace Hardware and we're gonna talk about a lot of things. We're gonna talk about Amazon. We're gonna talk about stinking ponds. We're gonna talk about uh, uh, entrepreneurship and we're gonna talk about a lot of stuff, the way Ace is headed and where uh, retail is headed, uh, manufacturing, everything. So sit back. Uh, Hopefully it's warm where you are. If not, get a get a blanket and grab some hot cocoa and sit back and uh, dig into this uh, taking care of business with John Van Huysen. Thanks for being here, guys. I just wanted to make sure everybody listening knows that if you're an independent home improvement retailer in the United States or Canada, you're already a member of the North American Retail Hardware Association. And so that means if you're a hardware store, home center, or lumberyard, and you're independently owned, you're already a member of NRHA. And the NRHA has been in existence since 1900 and serves its members in a variety of ways, from Hardware Retailing Magazine and our two podcast series to exclusive research and events, the association is here to help you become better and more profitable business owners. So we encourage you to make sure you take advantage of the services that are available to you that can help you better compete. To learn more about what NRHA does for you, make sure you visit us at www.nrha.org. All right, everybody, welcome to the Taking Care of Business podcast. This is Dan Trottencheck, and um, happy 2020 to everybody. Here we are sitting at the start of a new year, and uh, uh, just for starters, wishing everybody uh, a, a prosperous and uh, peaceful 2020. Uh, but welcome back to the new year of, of Taking Care of Business, and, and, and we're getting right into things this year, uh, getting the opportunity to sit down with one of the uh, industry leaders, uh, John Van Huysen, uh, President and CEO of Ace Hardware Corporation. And uh, John, welcome to the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Dan. Great to be with you. Absolutely. So here we are. We're, we're, we're starting out a, a new year, a, a, a new decade. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe. I'm, I'm one of those guys that uh, when I try and think back about something, I'll say, oh, that just happened a little while ago. And my wife will correct me and say, Dan, that was 14 years ago. And, and, and it's hard to believe we're yeah. here at 2020. But uh, as we sit in this new year and, and new decade, let's reflect back a little bit and, and talk about, man, when, when we were turning into the new century in 2000, where was Ace Hardware and where, where are where is Ace Hardware today and how is it different in these last two decades? I mean, there's probably a couple things. <laughs> the changes in our industry and probably most businesses are substantial. Yeah. And uh, you can't sit still, you can't be complacent. And we, we certainly have tried to not do either of those two things. Um, you look back just at the industry, Dan, and you see a lot has changed. We certainly have had the onslaught of the big box uh, that they've slowed down their domestic growth in terms of new units, but it has changed what most businesses have done. Uh, we look over that same time period and we see a trend moving towards do it for me versus do it yourself. I, it's not overtaken DIY yet, but it has certainly increased over the last decade. And uh, you can't mention the last decade without mentioning Amazon, likely the most disruptive company in human history. Yeah. And yet over that same time frame, I'm, I'm just so proud of the resiliency of the convenient, local, 
mostly family-owned hardware stores. Uh, many of them with Ace, others are not. But the resiliency of those cagey, hardworking entrepreneurs, regardless of the decade, is impressive to me. And uh, we, we enjoy being a part of that here at Ace. Yeah. I mean, it, when you look at independent hardware stores, it's truly a success story. And so, so, so often when you see it, people like to paint it like, oh, another hardware store is going out of business. But the, to, to using your words, the resiliency of the independent hardware stores is really, a, you know, should be a case study in business school about how those stores have survived. And a big part of that is the support from the distribution community really across, across that entire community. And ACE is a big part of that. How, how has ACE changed mm-hmm. in the last 20 years? You know, in the last 20 or 25 years, I would say the, the phrase we use here is that the passion of this company remains an ever-improving store model. The retail store model is everything. I think if you go in the Wayback Machine, a lot of companies like ours, and, and many still are there, are merely wholesale distributors. And we don't believe shipping ever-increasing amounts of stuff in the back door of hardware stores enough anymore. And over the last 20 years, we have tried mightily, albeit imperfectly, but tried mightily to ensure that the unit-level economics are attractive. And we think about the store model in terms of store-level economics, store-level operations, and then the consumer proposition, not advertising, but the consumer proposition as presented in that store. And a huge chunk of our assets, our resources, and our investments have gone to that, which is an expansion of merely being a great supply chain. And today we believe you've got to do both or the future's going to be rough. Right. And, and, Obviously, the you know the, the the ante for the game is I could get you the products you need when you need them at a price that you could resell them and, and make a profit. But that's really just the stakes, the the, the table stakes. Yeah. The, the rest of it is, is. I think it's a good way to say. Yeah, it. is is everything else. <clears throat> Changing from the rearview mirror to, to to the windshield, what what do you see? I mean, you know, we sit here and we talk to a lot of people and a lot of people on this podcast about you know, where they see the industry headed. I mean, because you you said, I mean, many people might say that we're kind of at an inflection point and Mm -hmm. and Amazon has pushed us to that point, Um, uh, not necessarily from their involvement in home improvement, but from what they've done to how consumers consume. Um, Where do you see ACE and the industry headed in the next three to five years? When when you and I are sitting here five years from now doing a return podcast, what are we gonna be talking about that's happened in the last three to five years? Very difficult to predict the future, but I think a couple things are clear. There is an increasingly bifurcated market. On one end of the spectrum, it seems clear to us that there are winners, and this is separating winners from losers in our view, this bifurcation of the market I mentioned. On one end is the large box, low service, low price business proposition. And I think you see that in all industries. Look at grocery. Uh, it's why Walmart's the largest grocer in the world. Large box, low service, low price. There are winners there. That is absolutely not where Ace is trying to play. We are on completely the other end of the continuum, which we think is also where some winners are going to continue to consolidate, and that's with the small, ultra, hyper-convenient, high-touch, high-service business yeah. model. Yeah. For us, that is the sweet spot of Ace. I, I joke our store's a uh, hundred years ago figured out that local was cool, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and it's working in their behalf. I'm sure glad our real estate strategy didn't include malls. 
And so that bifurcation of the market, in our view, is creating a real separation. And, and you know, while there's always exceptions, hanging out in the middle often leads to death. So we are clearly on the ultra hyper convenient, high touch, high service part of the equation. And again, you look at grocery, you know, you got Walmart on one end of the spectrum and you got Trader Joe's at the other. And we say Ace would be akin to Trader Joe's in many respects. We're smaller, closer in the neighborhood, higher quality, more localized assortment and a service model that is very high touch people oriented. We think that's a model that's going to hunt for 100 years. Yeah, we just we just did some retailer panels with retailers of all shapes and sizes, and um, uh, you know, a theme that came through was that point of, of difference. And one thing that resonated with me with one of the retailers that was on the panel, I believe it was an Ace retailer, who said, "I'm not looking for products that everybody else carries. I'm looking for brands that everybody else doesn't carry. The brands that." The brands that are premium brands, the products that might need a little bit of expl- explanation from someone at the store, and and that that they identify that as kind of an opportunity to differentiate uh, of saying I, I don't, you know, yeah, we'll have the stuff you need to do a project, but but when we're coloring kind of around the edges, we want to have that product presentation that's different, and and we can define ourselves that way, and that's the opportunity. What are some of the other opportunities like that 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 you see for independent retailers in this market? I think you nailed a very big one. Um, You, to succeed in this market, it is our view that you have to be uniquely and tangibly different and better than the other choices that are in the market. And again, that's why I reference that bifurcation. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's lots of opportunities. They're all difficult. Nothing's easy, but there are clear opportunities there. And so we think about it in terms of relevant differentiation. We're going to be different in ways that matter to the consumer. And there's a hundred ways to do it, but two in particular are really important. You mentioned one product. We say we have a fanatical devotion to high quality, locally relevant, differentiated product. We have a very large merchandising organization whose primary goal is to find suppliers who will give us stuff that consumers demand that you can't get at other places, particularly big box or discount websites. Yeah, You know, we, we sometimes talk to our suppliers that if you look at the track record, these big boxes, these discount websites are often the places that premium brands go to die. <laughs> we will take premium brands at Ace and we will rock them in our arms like our yeah. children and nurture <laughs> them and pour as much love as we can. At the same time, that can be a little fleeting. And so the thing we talk to our stores a lot about, which I believe they do better than anybody in the world, frankly, is that the only point of enduring differentiation is your people. And while lots of folks are chasing after digital and technical and impersonal solutions, some of which make a lot of sense to our business, we're betting the farm that servant hearts and human connections stir souls. And I believe local retailers, Ace in particular, uh, because I'm biased and I work here, do that better than anybody in the world. And I think that model is relevant despite all the change around us. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that because, I, I mean, I think you talk to 100 retailers, they would tell you we differentiate ourselves with the people. But in the same sentence, what they'll say is one of the biggest challenges we face these days are our people. Yes. Where do we find people? It, it, where? How do we hold on to people? How do we build our bench? And moving all the way through one of the biggest issues that I know your organization and our organization have looked at is the succession issue of, of where does our business go? Um, you know, when when the owner who's the average age in their low 60s right now is looking is looking yeah. to move on. 
what do you think about these challenges and, and how does ACE maybe help or, or, or what are some things that retailers can do? Because, you, you know, it's, it's certainly a focus at NRHA and what we can do helping yeah. in the employment market. Your, your comments there, I agree with entirely, Dan. Um, we've mentioned, and I've said this publicly even, that the, the media rants on about a retail revolution, and I think they miss it in large measure because they're just skimming the surface. Deep underneath that are two revolutions, and it's not retail. It's logistics and labor. There's a logistics revolution and there's a labor revolution. And again, our investments in both those areas are increasingly large versus a decade ago or versus last year. So to your point, and I won't go into a lot of detail on that unless you want it, but the logistics revolution is massive because everybody, including stores and their consumers, want fast and frictionless experiences and they want their stuff quicker. And so in our world, that means turning things upside down. Uh, ACE was built, frankly, decades ago by taking large orders to local stores infrequently. It's how you get scale. Today, we're turning our distribution network entirely on its head, which is to take smaller orders to local stores very frequently because that's what they want and that's what their customer wants. It's expensive. It's costly. It's capital intensive. It's really hard, but it's mandatory. And then the labor revolution. Uh, you know, turnover is higher than it is. The high-class problem of a heated-up U.S. economy and 3.5% unemployment, 50-year low, is it's very difficult to get people. It's great for the employees. It's difficult for the people. And so, you know, we have 100 lines in the water, but I guess I'd just say we, we view this, our brand is all about service. Uh, we're betting the farm on it. And our customer experience will never exceed our employee experience. If our exp- employee experience is great, our people will be more engaged, customers will be better treated and our turnover will be lower so that focus is significant and then third you mentioned you know sort of the the industry that we are in is is really fraught with of aging owner base many of them looking for an exit or succession that perhaps they haven't even thought through as well as they should and i know you're doing a lot to help them with that as are we one of those answers is to make sure we have a lot of entities with the desire and capacity to grow. So, you know, I I think about the number of independent hardware store owners, whether they're with Ace or not. I mean, there's thousands of them, hardworking folks who have poured their lives into these stores. And now it's time for a next chapter in their life and what are they gonna do? And we are working very hard, albeit imperfectly, to say, listen, when it's time to monetize your life's work, we want Ace to be an answer for you. And I'm pleased that we have a lot of entities I mean, local owners who have the desire and the capacity to grow, and so they're becoming more acquisitive. Well, and that's and that's certainly one of the trends that we have seen as we do our analysis of the industry is that there are fewer owners, different ways to put it, fewer owners owning more retail locations or more multi-store owners, if you will. And, and what's really encouraging about that trend, and I just hope it can keep up with some of the... Yeah. Um, growth opportunities, what's really encouraging about that trend is a lot of these guys are on the younger side, you know, in that 40-year-old age range that are saying, hey, I, I, I understand that running one store is great, but if Anything I want to Anything under 80 is young, <laughs> for the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. I mean, in, in this industry, probably a little bit right, but but um, that there's certainly that, that, um, that, that, that young or energetic entrepreneurial retailer that's saying, hey, one, two, three stores. And, and, and something interesting that we were just talking about is because of the advancements in logistics and technology, we're also starting to see retailers that are saying, I don't have to look in my 15-mile market radius. 
I might look in another state yep. or I might look in a completely different area for growth. Is that something yep. you guys are seeing as well and, 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 and uh, yep. see that as a trend? That's, yeah, it's, it's encouraging too. And, you know, the, the younger generation is bringing in a renewed sense of energy and ideas as well. You know, you want businesses to be like a river, not a pond. Ponds look pretty from a distance, but when you get up, they stink and there's a lot of death in it. And so we want our store base to be similar. You know, new folks coming in, younger blood, diverse folks coming and opening stores, and they sometimes turn our apple cart upside down, but it's a beautiful thing because you get new ideas and energy. Um, but yeah, we, I think it was um, three or four years ago, Dan, that for the first time in ACES history, at least that I'm aware of, I haven't been here for all 95 years, yeah, but almost. Them, yeah. yeah um, we now have more stores that say ace you know through our wholesale business there's yeah. thousands of other customers but i'm talking specific ace stores we have more stores that say ace that are, are owned by multi-store than single it's it's close to 50 50 but it just changed wow. and so there is a little bit of a, a dip in number of owners and a pretty large expansion in the number of stores so just to quantify that for you um, our store kind of is, is up 681 in the last seven years so we're sitting at around 5,350-something. Okay. We'll open about 1,000 in the next five years. Wow. Roughly 800 of those will be domestic. And a big chunk of those are coming from exactly what you talked about, which is a renewed ownership base who like the unit-level economics, who see the consolidation in the industry, and rather than sit back and hope it goes their way, they are saying, let's do something about it to lead it. And again, I don't want to turn this into an ACE program thing, but right. we've certainly put, our board has approved a lot of investments to help foster that. Right. We are trying to encourage it. Again, sitting back and hoping it goes your way, that's a bad move. We're trying to lead the consolidation in the industry, and I think that's supporting some of the growth I just mentioned. Well, and, and when you look at that kind of growth, some of the challenges that retailers talk to us about are, well, you have two things. One is, usually with an entrepreneur, there's a, an owner that's saying, there, there's only there's only one of me, <laughs> you know, so if I'm going to grow, I need the right people to help me grow, which which is a challenge. And challenge two is something you just addressed, which is I, I need access to the capital to yeah. grow. Now, now generating that kind of capital out of a retail business, we, we all know what the numbers are in retail business. Right. It, it certainly can be done. A lot of guys are doing it, but it's, but it's uh, I, I'm sure having a partner to, to, to help in that growth, whether it's on the vendor side, distributor side, is, is, is a big, op, uh, creates big uh, uh, opportunities for that kind of growth that might not otherwise be there. Listen, I, I totally agree with you, and, and I'm not going to turn this into a commercial, but I, I think that's incredibly important. I mean, you think about who these independent entrepreneurs are out there fighting against, and you think about the balance sheets of some of these companies. I mean, they are sitting on a cash hoard that's almost unimaginable, and that's what you're fighting up against, right? And so I, I sometimes will say there's a difference between being independent and being an entrepreneur. And, and when given the choice, be the latter, not the former. And so just I'd humbly ask some of our listeners to think this through. Like, let's look outside of our industry for a minute. What's the state of the independent retailer? How's the independent bookstore working these days? How's the independent electronic retailer working these days? How's the independent grocery store working these days? How's the independent drugstore working these days? It's a graveyard of people who took their fierce independence right to their death. Yeah. And it breaks my heart because these are hardworking, salt-of-the-earth, 
you know, fueling global economy kind of businesses, and they're, they're dying. Why? Well, I think it's the difference between being an entrepreneur and, and just a purely independent. You know, we, we want to fuel the aspirations of the local entrepreneur, but when we join hands and do things together, yeah. really good things can happen. And so we, we view it as the blend of the, of the combination of two beautiful things. The scale of a large company with a globally trusted brand and a very strong balance sheet, right? We got about $580 million of equity, which is twice the amount of our debt, pretty strong, coupled with the, the skill of the locally embraced entrepreneur. Yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful thing in business, and that both and can be beautiful. Now, sometimes we get out of whack and corporate thinks they're better than they are, or maybe... <laughs> We got to get rid of that sort of stuff. But when they're put together, just as you said, to go up against some of these enemies. Last point here. Hopefully this will drive it home. Most of the listeners here that own operate retail stores, whomever they're with, are competing with Depot, Lowe's, Costco, Walmart, and Amazon. And in combination, those five retailers are doing $1 trillion trillion in retail sales. Holy smokes. And and so you think about suppliers. They can be very attracted to them. So we, we've got to make sure we have a humble blend of the scale of a strong balance sheet and we think a, a powerful brand coupled with the skill of the local entrepreneur. And the combination is strong. Anytime we get out of whack one way or the other, we, we usually run into trouble. You know, let's... Uh Let's talk about what you were just mentioning, some of these competitive threats. And, and um, I've used this quote a lot in presentations, and I actually just used it in a, in a column. And to paraphrase, um, Jeff Bezos had something, said something about, we're at, at Amazon, we are not competitor-obsessed, we are customer-obsessed. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to, to me, that was not only a, a, a very telling statement about the way Amazon goes to market, but it's also the keys of how to compete against Amazon. It is is you can worry about Amazon, you can talk about Amazon, yeah. you can learn from Amazon, but if you become obsessed when, with what Amazon's doing, what Home Depot's doing, yeah. you're not doing the number one thing, particularly as an independent retailer you need to be doing, and that's focusing on what do the customers in my market want from me and how do I deliver that. Exactly. Um, that being said, I think it's interesting. We do research, and every year we ask retailers, just, just uh, uh, who do you consider to be your biggest competitor? A few years ago, Amazon popped up on that list, and when it happened, we at NRHA said, "Oh, this is this is this is this shows how much the industry is changing." Amazon is now considered one of the top three competitors. Mm-hmm. Last year, Amazon was listed as the number one competitor. This year, when we did the research, just a, 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 in twenty nineteen, when we did the research, Amazon was by far the number one competitor. More than listed by almost thirty, a third of retailers is who they consider their number one competitor to be. Second to surprisingly Lowe's, mm-hmm. um, which I, I found somewhat interesting. interesting. But, you know, it, when, when you look at the fact that Amazon hasn't even really made big inroads in selling home improvement products, this specter of Amazon that looms over independence right now is, is a large one. Do you think that's justifiable? And why do you think that is that so many independent retailers are now saying, Man, this is who I have to look at when I'm trying to figure out who my competitors are. I do. I think it's justifiable. And the, the Bezos quote is great, you know, obsess over customers, not competition. But I tell you, we, I obsess over both, <laughs> like probably in unhealthy ways. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's worth fighting over who's number one, two, or three competitors. But I think it's an obvious fact that, you know, there's thousands of independent 
entrepreneurial hardware stores out there. And if you have a Home Depot right across from you, that's certainly going to be one of your top one or two competitors. If it's a Lowe's, that's going to be one of your top two. If it's a Menards, that's going to be one, right? Each market has local competition that is particularly salient to that local entrepreneur. But there's not one of those markets for which Amazon is not a competitor. Mm -hmm. So they're going to show up as number one because they're ubiquitous. Sure. They're everywhere. Yeah. And while they may not be sweet spots selling exactly what's your core category as a hardware store owner, they're selling a lot of what's in your store and they're doing it incredibly well. And whether you like them or hate them, there's no doubt that they have, they, they have built a business called AWS, which is their web services right. business that essentially subsidized their drives, retail business. Yeah, it generates the it's the engine that generates what they need to, to, to basically give stuff away exactly. on the retail side. Exactly. Yeah. And whether that's sustainable or not, you know, let stock market analysts go ahead and <laughs> figure that out. But if you're sitting there working your fanny off running a hardware store, having that as an enemy is not a small thing. Right. So I totally understand why uh, these hardware store owners are rating them as their top one or two competitors because they are. And, and how, do, how does a hardware retailer address that? How, how do they address a company that says, I can deliver something to you in, in some markets yeah. in two hours right. without any cost to you? Listen, let me, I'm going to answer that really clearly, but before I do, let me say I'm, I'm, I'm very humble about this. Uh, Amazon's pretty good at what they do. Absolutely. Look at their revenue. Yeah. Um, heck, they're becoming a supplier to hardware stores all over the sure. world. Having said that, we have what they're clamoring for. We, we have physical assets right in the neighborhood. Right. And by that, I mean buildings and inventory and trucks and people. And it's, what the, it's why they bought Whole Foods, yeah. because they want to get assets in the neighborhood. And we already do that. We talk about it Ace anyway. In our little world, 75% of the U.S. is within 15 minutes of an Ace store. That's a huge advantage. So we have this ultra-hyper convenient experience that allows folks to both come in and now the store's going out. We've publicly said we're going to be faster than Amazon on stuff we stock because we're already there. Right. Second, we have what you talked about earlier, product differentiation. And, and I applaud those suppliers who do see some of these discount websites as being the place premium brands go to die. And you see them aligning with brick and mortar retailers by channel. I could give you some examples, but they're really important to us. And we rock those brands like babies and we put most of our marketing dollars behind it. Um, we're gonna spend $112 million on advertising next year. And we said most of that's gonna go to become famous for four paint, power, backyards and barbecue, and home preservation. We think we've got it, and they don't. And then third, we wrap that in what our stores, again, I believe do better than any retailer in the world. Local, in the neighborhood, service with people you can trust. Well, and, So it's it's a different proposition, and we think it's a nice niche to play in. And, and you know, when you look at um, the research and we, when you read about consumer preferences, you, you know, buy online, pick up in store, particularly in this industry, is also really powerful. And, and, and again, was just talking to a retailer who said, that's because the customer still wants confirmation. They, they, they want to say, I think I ordered all the stuff I need to put this garbage disposal in, but is there anything I'm missing? Or did I buy the right yeah. switch box that I need for this dimmer? Or how does the ring doorbell actually get installed? And, and, and so in, in this industry, 
that buy online, pick up in store is 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 really kind of still the king when it comes to what consumers want. It's a big deal, and and we think we're just getting started. So I'll give you some numbers so it doesn't just sound like fluffy crap. Uh, our AceHarbor.com, you know, our digital transformation is bigger than just our website, but our website's up 58% this year. 80% of that business is BOPIS, buy online, pick up in store. 80%. That's beautiful. I think it speaks to the convenience factor. Sure. I think it speaks to what you said. There's somebody there to stand behind it. And then recently we launched buy online, deliver from store, BOTFIS. 10% of the business is now BOTFIS. So 90% of it is all about the local store. We think that's a beautiful thing. There's somebody there. They can get it fast, either pick it up or get it delivered, and there's someone in the neighborhood to stand behind it. Our stores are doing a terrific job on this delivery, which is painful. It's operationally painful. But when the local ACE associate shows up with that red vest to your door, gives you the product, hands you the card, and says, if there's any problem or if you need anything else, you let me know, we think we can differentiate the delivery. Do you think that 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 is, for lack of a better word, scalable at the local level? As more people start doing that, it seems to me at some point, I'm selling you products that I'm now having to deliver to you that you used to come into my store to buy, so my margin doesn't really change on that product, but I have more expense put against it. If it's not incremental, it's dumb. Yeah. And right now, the stores that are on Bodfest are doing 57% more business than those who aren't. It is difficult operationally, for sure. But we got 100,000 Red Vested Heroes in those folks, and all of them go home at night. Yeah. We really can be more efficient than these cobbled-together networks of delivery because we're already there with assets and people. That's not to say easy. Believe me. It was way better when every customer came in. Like, we want every customer to come in, take their own product, check it out themselves, and then yeah. leave. <laughs> but, but that's not our business model. You know, we, it, in one respect, it's full circle. You know, you talk to, whether it's Ace or anybody else, you talk to anybody who's owned a generational hardware store business, and that's probably many of your listeners here. Sure. They'll tell you about when Grandpa delivered right, right to their neighbor. Right. It was like right. a house call with the doctor. We did it 100 years ago, and now it's come full circle with a little more of a technology flair to it, but that's, that, that's what we do. That's our business. You, you know, you touched on at the end there, technology, and I always find it interesting when you read the business publications or, or, or watch some of the business programs, and they talk about things like technology, and it's always about, here's these huge companies doing it. Well, we sat down with some retailers, one of them being Eric Hassett here recently, and Mm. independent retailers are broadly looking for technological solutions in their stores. Um, Whether it's from, uh, you know, one of the big ones I've seen a lot of retailers working on lately is employee productivity. How do we, how do, you know, if we're making these investments in employees and, and wages are going up, that's, I don't care how high wages go if I can get more productivity out of those employees, but yes, you got to have the metrics to measure it, and a lot of that involves technology. Do you see, uh, I mean, how, how, do, how does the industry evolve to having more technology in, in an industry where a lot of people joke that, oh, I still do business out of a cigar box, you know, and that's, we know that's not the truth for independent retailers, but there certainly are some independent retailers who, who are new to POS systems and so on. So what, what do we do on that technology front? You mentioned something that I think is a classic example of when I talk about the skill of the local embraced entrepreneur. Uh, We think about that a lot in terms of product. 
some of our best product ideas started by a, a local store or a chain of stores who took a flyer on something. That's uh, how Yeti got started at Ace. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, you know, fifty hundred million dollar business in almost all stores and in our distribution network. But it started because some stores in the southeast took a flyer. Right. I'd never heard of this stuff six years ago. Um, and if we are humble enough and don't have not developed here syndrome, we can find those things, learn from them, and then help scale it so everybody can benefit. Technology is the same thing. You mentioned Eric Cassett. There's hundreds of our stores who are trying technology things right now, and we're studying their efforts. It's wonderful. We get, you know, 5,400 tests going on every single day. Incubators everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing because these guys don't just sit back and take it. And uh, I'll give you a classic example. We, we have an inventory management and inventory productivity. I mean, the largest asset of a store right. financially is inventory. And managing that well is very important if you want to have lucrative financials. Well, we have a, a, an inventory management system that is basically a, a smart counting system instead of cycle counting, which is a little bit like a dog chasing its tail. Yeah. In fact, we've proved it actually introduces more errors than it fixes. <laughs> okay. Well, we have a statistical counting system called Mango that started right. with a single ACE owner who owned two stores in Michigan and who came up with this thing on his own. We have now used it. It is a corporate endorsed system that's in thousands of stores and it's because inventory productivity is important and a local entrepreneur said i'm gonna you know i'm gonna take a flyer at trying to fix this thing and it's outstanding and he's not you know microsoft or amazon or cisco but this thing is working in saving our stores countless hours and making their inventory more productive and as you said, now the same thing's going on with labor productivity, where suddenly you got to take that seriously. The number of states, I think, is 28 that are right now contemplating legislation to take the minimum wage up. Right. And federally, the House passed something to take it up to 15. It's not going to get through the Senate, but right. the wage pressure is severe. And, you know, what we've said to stores is our, our retailer base spends about $2.6 billion on payroll and aggregate. You cannot have that inefficiently managed. There, yep. There's, You can't sit back and complain about wage pressure when you've got a, f- a fat, non-optimized schedule. And so there's a lot of technological tools to help make that more efficient. But I'll, I'll close out this by saying those are things to make people more productive, mm-hmm. not to displace them. Right. We still believe our business rises and falls with servant hearts and human connectivity. So the the... the the technology fuels and feeds the people, not displaces them the other way. We think that's going to be really important to stores going forward. Well, and, and just having access to that information, we see it every year in our cost of doing business study that mm-hmm. that the higher profit retailers, greater sales, better be, better on the numbers. But one of the biggest numbers is controlling payroll expense. And that doesn't necessarily mean having fewer employees. Correct. It means figuring out... Do I need more employees from 10 a.m. to noon and fewer from noon to three, and then and then manage? Dan, you're lighting a spark with me, so I got I got to puke <laughs> these numbers on you. So we did another labor study with our stores this year in partnership with you know 50 stores or whatever we did, um, and we found a couple things that are make your eyes pop open. You say, we got to fix this tomorrow. So we found that on average in hardware stores, about 25 percent of the time they're paying their people is unadulterated waste. Right. Now, that number's never going to be zero, but that's an eye-popping number. And then we did an, a study of the tasks, and we looked at what the best way to lean out these oh, tasks, you know, these engineering labor studies, and then what's actually happening in almost every task, most of which involve inventory. Uh, about a third of that time was wasted, meaning they were doing it inefficient. Now, just think if you can improve both those two numbers by 10%. 
that is an incredible savings. And what we're encouraging stores to do is then don't just cut payroll, but then to reallocate that labor to serving the customer. Because what we also found for like the 50th time is customers who get waited on by someone in a hardware store spend 56% more than those who don't. That's the model. Now, operationalizing that is difficult, but it's the stuff that makes the economics work. Understanding it is a key. And to take that to the next point, you and I could probably talk for an hour about just this, but to take that to a next point uh, is that then you have to ask, well, when you're engaging with a customer, uh, how many of those engagements are, where's the duct tape and what? where's where's the paintbrushes? And then if you could even optimize that by saying, well, if I improve my wayfaring and my signage and, and the way the store is laid out and make it, make it more... Um, serviceable and shoppable, then we can have meaningful engagements with customers. And then what does that do? So, so yeah, I mean, we're kind of at the, at the starting line at looking at some of this stuff, but it's exciting that we're beginning to, for independent retailers to, to kind of have access to this kind of intelligence. It's a big deal. And really, really it's, in many, many ways, it's operationalizing what local hardware store owners have known for 100 years. Yeah. You know, it's not just about being friendly. That's important. Sure. But it's about actually knowing your stuff and caring for the customer. If you want customers who love you, it's going to be because they have to feel you love them. And that's got to be more than just being friendly. So you get into training and you get into operationalizing the customer experience and all those things. Because in the end, just saying hi to somebody isn't enough to actually say you're best in the world at service. And there's work there. And again, you guys do a lot of work in this regard. So I think you know this more than most. But... That is the stuff that drives, you know, just another snicker bar and every third transaction drives a lot of sales. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it, and we talk about it a lot. Customer service isn't just, you know, hey, John, how you doing today? No. It's service is such a different and broad definition in today's consumer uh, space that you have to understand all of those different points. Absolutely. To compete in that area. Um, but before, before we let you go, I want to talk, you, you know, when you talk about serving customers, Ultimately, Aces customers are are, are retailers, That's right. you, you know. And uh, while they're while they're members, uh, you know, I know you guys look at them as customers, trying yeah. you know everything you do to make them happy. Um, how are distribution part? I mean, you know, in the last several years, the distribution segment of this channel has just really dramatically changed. And, and sure, there's been consolidations, but with some of the some of the changes in corporate structure. And at the end of the day, corporate structure seems to just be that it's corporate structure. But a lot of people get caught up in that. I mean, do you think that this this concept of corporate structure, whether it's a co-op or a independent or a partnership or, or or some other ownership structure at the distributor level, is that is that a big deal? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was at one point. Do you guys still see it as as kind of a a, a point of difference amongst distributor partners? Mm-hmm. I suppose one might expect that I should sing the praises of the cooperative. <laughs> I put the ball on the tee for you. And rail <laughs> and just rail against any governance structure that is not a cooperative uh, because I work at a cooperative. But, you know, I'll, I'll be candid with you, Dan. I, I don't think there's a perfect governance structure. I, I mean, if I'm going to shoot straight with you, I, I think there are pros and cons to every form sure. of governance structure. And I think it would be disingenuous of me merely to just sing the praises of the cooperative as if it's perfect and the other ones are somehow evil. And, and frankly, I don't believe that to be the case. 
Having said that, I can tell you with a great deal of certainty that the owners of this company, and, and we don't call them customers. They're not right. just customers. Customers are people you try to make money off of, and that's not what we're doing here. Um, the, the largest part of my compensation structure is same-store gross profit at retail. You know, th- that's clearly our board saying that's what matters. The economics in the stores are what matters. That's what keeps this ship going for another 95 years. So I can tell you that our owners want to remain owners. That, that is the governance structure they prefer. It works for It them. is their company. I, I serve their needs. And I'd further say that I, I can see that that provides a great deal of alignment. And I believe that that's very good. So we're happy in the position we're in. We think we're strong and solid. Um, we, we have enough capital to fuel the aspirations that we have at least for the next five years. So our governance structure works. Our owners are just that. And our, our aim, again, albeit imperfectly, is to make sure that we are improving the return on the investment they have in both their stores and in this company. Over the last five years, that's averaged between 27 and 32% return on the equity they have in this business. And our job is to make sure we continue to fuel that while also recognizing they're really going to build their generational wealth in those stores. So it works for us. Other people prefer a different direction. In the end, it's about the consumer proposition in the store. And it's points of difference. You know, we get people, we like to kind of say, we're Switzerland, NRHA is Switzerland. I mean, we want everybody to succeed. Yeah. And, and when people always ask us, well, you know, what distributor is right for me? It's like it's like asking me who you should marry. I, I have no idea who's who's the best fit for you. You got you to gotta figure that out. But that being said, what kind of changes do you see, you know, as we go into this new decade on the horizon for distribution, for manufacturing? What, what are some of the things outside of the retail that, that you kind of think yeah. these, these could very well be upon us soon? You know, Dan, you know this better than anybody because you see all sides of it. Um, distribution is a very difficult business. Um, in fact, if you're purely looking at it from an investment perspective, it's not a very good business. <laughs> it's capital intensive yeah. and incredibly low margins. And so I believe the way you make a, you know, asset rich, capital intensive, low margin business work is scale. So yeah. we're larger than our next two competitors combined and we have to extend that lead because that's what our stores need. That's what the independent entrepreneur needs to fight against the enemies they have. And so from a distributions perspective, scale matters. And then like we talked about before, obviously changing our distribution network so that we can get smaller orders to local stores more frequently. We call it the logistics revolution here. And a big chunk of our capital over the next five years is gonna be deployed to do just that. But second, that's not enough. So the other side of this is to make sure that we are providing our stores with the tools and knowledge they need to build their dreams at their local level. And so investing in the five P's of retail, product, price, promotion, place, and people, so that they can leverage scale of all of us to operationalize their business so they can make money doing that hard work is just as important as the distribution network. So we're a both-and strategy, and it's working well for us. We've got 10 years in a row where our local retailers have had same-store sales increases. I mean, that, that puts them in the upper quartile in the world. Right. This dog can hunt if we work together to both be the best distributor and provide them 
the operating methods and tools and advertising they need to be successful locally while ensuring we give them massive autonomy. Like we want to be the most bottoms-up company in the world. The combination of those two things, we believe, is what the future is going to hold for us. And we honestly, despite all the challenges, despite all the competitors, despite how capital-intensive it is, um, we're incredibly bullish about the future. Um, our best days are ahead of us. Great. John, is there anything, any thoughts you might want to kind of leave listeners with uh, uh, your wishes for the new year and the, and the new decade? Well, I know some of your listeners are probably manufacturers, so just really quickly, sure. I, 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 I'd feel really badly if I didn't say thank you. Um, there's a good chunk of our suppliers who are aligned with our belief that, you know, this fanatical devotion to high quality, locally relevant, differentiated product, and their support is fueling a massive part of our growth. And I just want to say thank you for it. We appreciate that. And then I'll just selfishly say to whomever's listening that happens to be an ACE owner, um, <laughs> uh, certainly thank you for your support, but I want to congratulate our owners. Their bias for action. Uh, their commitment to excellence and their their irrational pursuit of great service in their neighborhoods is awe-inspiring. And it makes me frustrated that the media often doesn't report on these local entrepreneurs who are small, mostly family businesses yeah. around the world. Uh, sometimes when they do, they get maligned. And I merely want to just encourage them. Uh, th these these local entrepreneurs don't get much credit, but they truly are. They're the heartbeat of American business. They ultimately are what's fueling global economies. And you step back and look at what they do as a force for good around this world. You say, what would we do without them? So, yeah. uh, you know, let's go take the new year. And uh, thank you for being an inspiration to all of us. Those local entrepreneurs Absolutely. fighting a good fight in their market give us a bounce in our step, and I'm proud to work for them. Absolutely. And, and it is so frustrating. There was a, I think it was the New York Times that had a story a couple of weeks ago. The headline was like the death of the local hardware store. And it, it was a it was a good story in a sense when you read into it. But the headline, it's a, you want to crumble it up and throw it against the wall and say, let's talk about all the Damn. hardware stores Damn. that are doing so well. Skeptical pessimists rule the media. <laughs> yeah. Rational optimists rule small business. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't get a lot of credit, but they are out there saying it's tough, but the future's bright, and we're going to do it. it. Rational optimism is the only way to lead, and that's why you find them in small business, and you find the skeptical pessimists out there writing stories like that. Well, and, and it's our job, both of us, I guess, to just keep telling the good stories about those entrepreneurs that are doing so well out there. Amen. John, thank you so much for being on our podcast. I really appreciate it, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Dan. You as well, and thanks for all you're doing to support these local entrepreneurs. It's great. Appreciate it. You as well. Thank you, John. Thanks, bud.